they seem to strike a pretty good balance. Maybe not all the developers will be happy and maybe they won't have all the flexibility, but there's also some real ease and structure there for 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 maybe not as much neat reliance on developers as you also highlighted. But yet, you know, this, this stands up well in functionality from other from other products. And, and uh, you know, it's certainly nice that it's connected to Oracle. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The whole idea of e-commerce and the web have always been making IT and programming easy for marketers. So easy that they don't have to learn coding to run e-commerce operations. But the world of headless seems to be taking the opposite approach. So is every vendor treating headless as the same? Not really. Also, should the headless experience always be based on React JS? Probably not. Why should a technology trend be biased toward a specific tech? Also, React is not the only way to write JavaScript-based apps. Oracle Commerce is often criticized for being monolithic and Java-based. But that's perhaps not true. They are one of the easiest and most customizable without requiring the clunkiness of headless. So is there only one way of doing headless? If a tech is achieving the same outcome conceptually, then it doesn't really matter whether the tech is headless or not. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss Oracle Commerce platform. We discussed their strengths and weaknesses and where they might fit in the e-commerce architecture for both B2B and B2C business models. Finally, we discussed their different approach to headless and why their platform may be friendlier for the marketers with their unique change set functionality. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. And we pick one vendor or the solution that we review independently. So for today, we have a very exciting solution called Oracle Commerce. It used to be called uh, Oracle ATG. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I'm your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP commerce digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Phil for his intro. Hi, everybody. Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. 
We help senior executive teams align their digital transformation strategy with their core business strategies. And um, I've been, I come to you from a business perspective, more from an IT perspective, and with about 20 plus years in the C-suite and stood up a lot of uh, different e-commerce systems and a lot of ERPs and looking forward to today's conversation, Sam. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. <clears throat> well, Robert, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Robert Brown, principal of Robert Brown e-commerce consultancy. I spent 20 years in Fortune 50 e-commerce, and I now provide that to small and medium-sized businesses to help them grow to reach their goals. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Robert. And if you're in the audience mm-hmm. and joining for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, our panelists are going to make sure that you get your answer. On that note, I am going to start with quick briefing and the recap of many different products that we have reviewed uh, from Oracle and from the other vendors and where Oracle commerce sort of fits in the value chain where they are overall in the headless journey and what is their go-to market strategy overall. So I think we have reviewed many different products and Phil and Robert, you guys can chime in whenever you guys like. Uh, you know, So some of the comparable, obviously, for Oracle Commerce is always going to be those enterprise products. That is going to be the, the best comparison is going to be probably uh, SAP Hybris. And uh, uh, from the product architecture perspective, uh, by the way, SAP Hybris is one, but then obviously you have the Salesforce Commerce, uh, which is sort of, sort of the, the newer player. Uh, and Robert, uh, you know, since we were discussing this in the pre-show, my understanding of uh, Oracle Commerce is that they have been rated by Gartner for their B2B capabilities. I think they are one of them uh, on their metrics. So. Uh, in fact, I mean, there was a sort of conversation in social media, okay, why Oracle is rated so high, um, to be honest, on the B2B and a lot of uh, agencies that are really big on this whole headless concept. They were saying, hey, you Java guys, you know, you don't know what you are doing uh, and you shouldn't be rated that high. You don't understand how these newer platform or the headless platforms work overall from the headless perspective. So I had to do my own research as well. In, in fact, I mean, in understanding where they are. So, Robert, when you look at the overall architecture of SAP Hybris at this time, based on the demos that we have available publicly, that still appears very enterprise-centric. When you look at the whole build process, okay? So, yeah. if you let's say you need to make any sort of changes, you know how Oracle ATG used to work. Okay, when you are making a simple HTML change that you need to make in your Java build and that you need to compile, then it's going to take 15 minutes and you are probably going to... The change so where, where, where um, I have lost because I, I hadn't played in the Oracle space for a while is ATG was the enterprise owned the application. So they hosted the application on one of three um, platforms, either WebLogic, JBoss, or WebSphere. And so Oracle is making this move to cloud commerce. And so they actually have marketing and um, demonstrations for their ATG customers saying, hey, now it's time for you to move over to our cloud commerce SaaS solution. And so that is the difference between ATG and and cloud commerce is cloud commerce is their SaaS solution and ATG is the self-hosted for the enterprise. So, uh, Robert, on that comment, my understanding of how Oracle is approaching overall from the infrastructure play perspective, they have been making a lot of comments overall that even the customers who are going to be on their cloud, they are going to get a lot more control 
that you are probably not going to get with the other cloud vendors. So obviously, they are actually exposing the same capabilities that you would have had uh, in the case of on-prem. Now, here in the case of ATG, so let's say if you compare this with your on-prem IT experience, where you had access to your JBoss, uh, you know, web logic, and you could literally build whatever you want, and you could expose whatever you want. So in this particular case, when you are going to be seeing these screens, and these screens are really designed for marketers to be, they are not designed for IT people and developers. So mm -hmm. all of that is still going to appear as if it's a platform that marketers can manage. But in the background, my understanding is that it still utilizes either WebLogic or JBoss, or probably you have an option. I think I saw somewhere in documentation that you have an option which uh, web server you would like to use to be able to host uh, the platform. So, so overall, from the architecture perspective, it's still the same. The only difference really is going to be in that they have a lot more control because now it is actually deployed over cloud. So they are trying to provide that control through many different perspectives. For example, you can connect your IDE and you can deploy whatever you want. You also have ability to do sort of the version control and the version control is going to be very different as well compared to the other platforms that we have seen. In their case, you had sort of access to code, but here it's going to appear as if marketers can actually do version control and we are going to be reviewing that as well, how Oracle is uh, is uh, managing that. So I kind of like the way Oracle Commerce is approaching this, and we'll review that. Any other comments, guys? Uh, just to add in, and I usually let you guys do the, the more technical talk, but I did review the literature on their cloud solution and they did highlight the fact that you have an option of a fully integrated, you have an option headless non-integrated, and then you have the hybrid. So they are offering all three of those types of packages to give you full control of headless and 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 separate the backend with the UI front. And they're advertising that in their in their literature. And and that is huge when you're going to try to onboard new customers because quite frankly, you know, as I've said before, there are some shops that are adamant about, you know, we want to make control maintain control over certain pieces of this and some are so for whatever reasons some are still not comfortable with the entire SaaS concept and so by offering you know take what you want keep what you want it's it's an easier way to onboard more customers and and they're also saying the headless stuff here sam api first as a philosophy easy to use rest services and then they're saying storefront is built in a variety of, of available scripts. So, you know, it seems like they're trying to, from a from a technology standpoint, they're trying to appeal to those developers and also appeal to folks mm -hmm. that maybe in the enterprise space, but don't want as much of the development work and want more of an integrated. So I was looking at one of the things that we're, we're you're going to cover here is, um, you know, the history of ATG and it was co-founded by Jeet Singh and Joseph Joe both graduates of MIT. And, you know, one of those little fun facts is when you are a freshman at MIT and you pick the dorm that you're going to go to, they actually build a wooden roller coaster in the quads and, and they actually run that in the fall. So yep. when my son was looking at schools, they were very proud of the fact of, you know, one of the bringing students together in terms of their creativity is, yes, we're going to build a roller coaster right here. 
And, you know, um, Cornell has a very interesting one where they actually have a phoenix and a dragon fight in the middle of, of their campus. So I uh, got to love how they try to get these engineering students being creative. Yeah, amazing uh, example there. Thank you so much, Robert, for that. Uh, so, uh, Phil, one of the comments that I wanted to make on your comment related to their claim of headless, and I think they are sort of gone back and forth in terms of how they define headless. So I was looking at one of the articles from one of their you know, product leader for Oracle Commerce, and their claim was that they have seen a lot of different trends. They have seen many different versions of headless. Headless is not a new concept. And so, so I sort of understand where they are coming from, to be honest. Okay, So there is always a very gray line in terms of how you want to implement a concept. So in their case, you may be able to replicate a lot of things that these newer headless platforms are trying to claim these days, there is going to be a very thin line overall in terms of how many different APIs you can call, but you can do a lot more. So we are going to be reviewing all of that in the screen, how these guys are approaching that. In fact, I mean, this is the same argument that we had even in the case of Salesforce. Salesforce yep. B2B solution, you know, that's not headless. They are claiming that they are headless. Sure, B2C solution, yes, they are very React-based. And, you know, my take on this is going to be, okay, yes, React is great, but is that the only way to do headless? From the business perspective, if you look at this, then it's going to be a very different perspective. Okay, if you are achieving the similar outcome, then doesn't matter, you know, which approach you are going to take as long as you are getting the results. So we are definitely going to review that, how Oracle Commerce is approaching that. And I kind of like the way Oracle Commerce is approaching, to be honest. It's not as complicated for your business users, because at the end of the day, what matters is, you know, what is going to be the experience for those business users, because they are the ones who are actually going to be running the campaigns. Yes, the development experience matters as well, uh, you know, and the integration experience matters as well. And there's a little thin line overall in terms of how these guys are approaching versus how the newer platforms. You know, I've, I've, I've heard people actually say that one of the reasons why Salesforce bought Demandware is because they needed to complete compete with Oracle's uh, <clears throat> complete cloud CX solution. So... I, I think they're, you know, Oracle is doing a really good job on trying to lead this pack. Yeah, I completely agree, guys. And, uh, you know, uh, so Sam, let's go, Sam, one go. more question. Maybe, Sam, one more question. Maybe you can help me. I'm just trying to get an understanding of what best to compare these guys to. And so if you look at some of the lists and some of the comparison, you know, I see Magento Enterprise. I see uh um you know the shopify plus potentially what are a couple of these other ones i mean they're the enterprise solutions you know may, maybe it's uh probably not big commerce but what do you, what would you think are some other ones if the client is looking at this particular solution as a good comparison for them a good couple of so in my experience i think the closest comparison always is going to be either sat hybris it's going to be uh, salesforce commerce Magento is fairly enterprisey as well. So most customers that are going to be looking at these platforms, they are probably going to be including all of these in their evaluation. Most likely, they are probably not going to have Shopify Plus because that is targeted for SMB. It, they might not have BigCommerce either. They might have solutions like Striker. And this we are going to confirm on the reviews as well. So typically, if you actually look at, look at any of the review site, the users typically list which other solutions that they had considered so yep. we have some validation from there as well what other solutions they have listed some users are going to be informed you know they are going to be looking at only enterprise solutions because they sort of 
understand the market. Some people are going to be all over the place. So sometimes you can't trust the reviews. But for the most part, I think the Striker, SAP Hybrid, Salesforce Commerce, Magento, Sitecore. What else am I looking at here, Robert? Self-build. Uh, sorry, which one? Self-build. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, some of them have just completely in-house build systems. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that many IT departments do is they actually take a look at the business requirements when they're going to evaluate a new system and, and try to determine what the cost to maintain, upgrade, uh, and provide meet the business requirements are going to be and whether they can deliver that faster, cheaper than going with, with some platform. It's getting harder and harder for that that case to be made, but some are still trying to do it. And a good self-built system is not is not necessarily a bad deal. I have one client that has a really cool self-built system in the B2B space, and they were looking at a move to Salesforce, and it's very difficult for them to repeat what they've been able to develop on their self-built system in Salesforce. Even though Salesforce has a ton of capability, but it is pricey to repeat the bells and whistles if you've taken several years to really do it up. Exactly, guys. So let's move on to uh, some of these slides. So here, this is a little history about uh, the ATG organization. So I think this confirms what Robert was trying to say uh, in terms of their founders coming from MIT. Um, so here, I think the acquisition was roughly in, what, 2011? Um, that's where they got these capabilities. And they have acquired a lot of different companies to get several capabilities that are going to be part of your e-commerce portfolio. So here they are saying ATG acquired Primus Knowledge Solutions in a disputed acquisition that closed something. So we don't really have the capabilities what they got there as part of that acquisition. Then uh, they are saying ATG completed the integration of Primus applications. So that's the integration of the same platform. Then ATG acquired eStrata, a provider of click-to-call chat and call tracking solutions. So overall, from the positioning perspective, I always felt that you know Oracle's commerce solution was more targeted towards consumers, but they do have very deep B2B capabilities as well. Their capabilities are not going to be as deep as what we saw in the case of Salesforce because they had very specific industry flavors in their solutions. So I could not see those flavors uh, in Oracle Commerce or ATG, for example, but they have a lot of different features, such as if you talk about their DEM capability, DEM capability is just amazing. One of the best, in my opinion, the way their approval flow is overall for the digital assets, the kind of assets that you can capture as part of that. And typically, the Oracle's market is going to be media, telecom, utility. Those are their core verticals that they really like to target. So obviously, their offerings are going to be slightly more geared towards that. And that probably was the reason why they acquired ATG, because ATG has a, had a lot of these capabilities as well as part of their uh, product line. Um, now, I think, obviously, this acquisition was significantly expensive. I would say in 2011, they paid roughly what $1 billion. So obviously, they must have a lot of customers that Oracle got. And that's why they paid a $1 billion, which is a, a decent acquisition in my opinion. Okay, so now let's look at their overall design. And now if you are going to look at the dashboard, my folks are going to be comparing this and they are going to think that, you know what, this is how my WordPress looks. So what is the difference? But the difference is going to be in the, the amount of control that you have. Uh, overall in your development process, the number of sites that you can maintain as part of one platform. So that is going to be one key differentiator, uh, Phil, when you look at the enterprise solution versus the SMB solution. Most of the SMB solutions, sure, you can manage the brands in one instance, 
but you are probably not going to have as much control where let's say if i'm publishing one theme to five different sites do i have a centralized control where i can manage that centrally i can do the preview and then probably publish it so that's the change control process it becomes very difficult when you are talking about enterprise web asset and then you have you know let's say 50 people who are part of your development team and they each are trying to publish the changes to be honest i mean you know even for our own branding and marketing we are not e-commerce shop but even for us it becomes very difficult okay uh, my content team is trying to publish the blog but the other folks are trying to publish the development changes so how do we manage the change so that's where the enterprise capabilities are going to be and in this particular case you literally can identify the chain set and the dependencies and you can literally isolate at what date what time you need to publish and by the way these capabilities are not just going to be your static changes that are going to be part of your website it's going to be okay for this audience i am publishing this particular change so that's your digital experience functionality that okay you can literally segment each of the visitor that you have on the site and literally can display each individual component if you want to do that that's how deep the capabilities are when you talk about the digital experience management uh, capability so in the case of uh, oracle that's where their depth is and you don't really have to have that clunkiness or the complexity of headless in this the, this is all built as part of the platform so here on the left side i mean as we can see this is going to be based on the author you can uh, you know track based on author status uh, it's going to be areas different areas that you are trying to publish whether the change is part of catalog design marketing media uh, everything is going to have different level of dependencies and different impact on the site so that's why it is very important for example let's say if you are publishing just a blog post you know what can you break you know no big deal if you are going to publish that but let's say if you are publishing a code change then you need to be slightly careful once you break you know how google works uh, you know if you are down for let's say uh, a day google is going to penalize you significantly and you can lose substantial amount of traffic so that's where this control is going to be super handy when you are looking at okay so this is the again the the whole dependency section and this is the part that robert if you are uh, tracking this more as the it manager in my mind i would absolutely love this because i don't have to worry about the coding and <laughs> i'm still able to manage all of this whatever i needed as the uh, the the it controller to make sure that my site always stays live and i don't really have any impact on the corporate performance mm -hmm. um okay so this is the schedule and again the segmentation that you have overall from the scheduling perspective it's just phenomenal i have not seen this functionality uh with most of the platforms that we have reviewed this is possible when you do the dev ops as part of your development but you need to involve your developers and sometimes the marketers and the business users they are not going to have as much insight in terms of what is going in what is not going in so you are going to be uh, dependent upon your it and the developers to find okay which changes you would like to publish but in this particular case your marketing is able to manage these. that's the real differentiation and and this in particular this is really important because a lot of people take this for granted especially when it comes to things like price changes exactly um, you know uh, a brand may come along and tell a reseller you know what we're we're going to have a discount starting on monday and the platform that the reseller is using doesn't have the ability to time the publication of that and so you may have your manager staying up till two o'clock three o'clock in the morning to actually publish that so to be able to schedule this allows more automation 
and um, you know a higher chance of success. Couldn't agree more. Okay, and this is where the real trick is. So we have seen a lot of different discounting rule, and Phil, I think you have had a lot of different uh, commentary around the pricing and discounting. Who should be uh, owning the pricing and discounting? But one of the things when you look at the commerce experience, in my mind at least, right? When you are talking about the real digital experience management, when you have your audience. Uh, and the A-B testing that you need to do based on your audience and the personas, uh, you know, that functionality has to reside as part of you. So that's where the discounting stacking is going to be really handy. So I completely agree that you need source of authority in your ELP when it, uh, it comes for your discounting and, and pricing. But you are not going to have the uh, psychographic data that you are going to have that as part of your e-commerce in your ERP. So discounting stacking rule uh, you know, e-commerce has to be the place for that, in my mind. And 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 these guys are able to do really, really granular discounting rule. And you have significant financial control that, okay, once you apply this coupon, you are not going to be able to apply for the next order if you order the same, because you know uh, how consumers are going to be. I mean, there might be double dipping scenario. And for finance, that's a nightmare to be able to track. Uh, you know, consumers typically are going to try to be creative uh, when they are utilizing these discounts and coupons, and sometimes that could result in in the financial implications. Yeah, I think that the I agree with that, Sam. And I think the differentiator is is as far as price lists. So the standard pricing that a company is trying to maintain. I still think that that tends to be in ERP, and the source of truth is ERP. As far as what you're doing with that, whether it's a list price or whatever your structure is you know, cost plus or list down, whatever you're doing, as far as then taking that, turning that into a sales price, whether that's with stack stacking rules on discounts, specials, whatever, or, or it could be per customer, different types of customer groups getting different types of, of rules. Uh, that, that, there's a lot of functionality, like you said, in ERP, you might as well have it there. And then it's the um, front end is delivering to ERP. Here's what I sold it. For well, the ERP can't really change that anyways. If you're first of all, as a customer service, if the customer thinks they bought it for ten dollars and fifty cents, you can't charge them eleven. Right? You're just it's just not done. And in many countries, that's actually illegal to that. So so that you know you do have to have the source of truth of what the price is on the order is what the is what the commerce system delivers anyway. Could not agree more, guys. And just one layer that we discussed in the last session as well. I think there is a distinction overall when you look at the pricing functionality and overall the distinction between your e-commerce as well as ERP functionality is going to be that B2B versus B2C distinction. So here, when you are looking at this data, this is probably going to be B2C experience because you are looking at the consumers. You are not looking at B2B shoppers. So that's also a distinction when you think about the pricing rules. So B2C pricing, in most cases, I think e-commerce platforms are probably better suited for that. When you look at the B2B pricing, maybe probably ERP, but then again, depending upon your business model. Yeah. And then one other piece of the pie on that is, is how do you want to be able to report and see and manage discounts? Yeah. So if, if, if the ERP, the ERP has to know both numbers in order to give you information and maybe different categories of was it a discount with a coupon program? Was it a, 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 a commercial discount? Was it free freight? So there does have to be interaction on information between the two so that when you're looking at management reports that you can say, okay, from I look at my financials, what is booked in, in different categories and allow me to hold budget, hold people accountable and forecast. Amazing, guys. Uh, so now this is where the real beauty is, in my opinion. And again, a lot of headless folks are going to say that I don't really have control on this process. You can do a lot of things. You can actually change your 
uh, JavaScript, CSS, you can you can do a lot of changes. But obviously, if you are a developer, you are probably not going to like this because you don't have that development experience where you have a lot of control on these things. And you are probably not going to like this editor either because it's not going to be as friendly for the developers. And that's the reason why they don't like it. But, you know, you have similar controls available that you are probably going to have as part of headless without actually touching your your IT. So I like the way this is done. This is providing the control for both. Marketers have a lot of control that they can change right from here, as well as your developers are going to have control. And by the way, the themes that you are looking at, these are going to be for each of the sites. You can maintain different uh, you know themes that you would like to publish across the sites uh, centrally. So again, that's a very key piece of functionality. You can clone them so that you are not really putting the duplicate effort there. So I, I like uh, the way this is done, to be honest. Then typically when you look at, even if you look at, and Phil, I don't know what your experience has been overall when you look at uh, newer tools, uh, and Robert, you as well, obviously. When you look at like Boomi or MuleSoft, they all are going to claim that I can accommodate any technology whatsoever. Okay, you can write any language and I can shove it in, in my uh, process and that's going to run. But when you are going to use that, what is going to happen is it's going to be a text editor. So I am still not sure, Robert, how as a developer, anybody can write a program <laughs> on a text editor. But here, at least you have some sort of you know syntaxing going on that you can at least do something. It's not going to be your developer experience overall, but the way Oracle is trying to position this, at least you have some IDE that can understand JavaScript and that can probably allow developers to be able to write. So uh, that's the differentiation between other platforms which might simply expose a text area that, okay, here is your text area, dump whatever you want, and I should be able to probably execute it. <laughs> but in this particular case, I think you have a real JavaScript engine that is trying to uh, expose that. Robert? Yeah, I, I you know, th this is why when you're getting developers, you just can't take a developer and, and move them from one platform to another. You know, you, they have to have experience in a specific platform and understand the nuances of what works and what doesn't there. You know, like going back to the previous slide, you, looking at the different themes, I love the fact that, you know, you're allowed to have the custom themes and the custom CFS to support those themes. But typically um, that happens by region. So, you know, you're, you're going to have one in the Americas, you're going to have one in Asia. So, you know, having an American developer develop something for an Asian market would not fly because the look and feel just would not be the same of what they're expecting. But keep, keeping it all in one place certainly makes it a lot simpler. Yeah, could not agree more. And guys, uh, when you look at these widgets, and, and I like the way widgets are done. Now, my headless colleagues are going to be sort of not liking this. And the reason why they are not like going to like this is because it's not going to be as open. So when you are looking at these widgets, you can literally use these widgets for any of the audience. You can compose the commerce experience the way you want on your pages. So you have all of that flexibility available. You also have flexibility available for each of the customer group. Whoever you know uh, want to see whatever, you can customize all of that. But the real difference between your headless versus this is going to be in the case of headless, you have developers selling these controls, okay? In the case of Oracle, the documentation is going to be very closed-guarded, okay? Only the Oracle ATG developer or the Oracle commerce developers will be able to develop these assets. It's not going to be the open React community 
who is going to be developing. So that's where the real differentiation is between your headless experience. In the case of headless experience, these developers are probably going to be, and by the way, I was actually looking at one of the articles from Gartner, and they have identified, uh, what is that called? And Robert, I don't know if you have seen that. Uh, it's called uh, e-commerce as a service or e-commerce composable commerce as, as a service, something similar. But it's going to be as a service offering that you are offering. So literally, you are going to be selling these widgets as your offering, and then you can sort of patch it together and create the commerce experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is where your, uh, the, if you have any sort of server-side extensions, now you might be able to do this even in the case of Shopify. Uh, you know, you can probably have your web hooks that you can publish your JSON to any of your uh, downstream systems. Uh, you can do that. But again, the editor experience is going to be probably different in my mind. Uh, you know, the way Oracle has done it, it's going to have far more customizability overall uh, in, in terms of what all you can do from the developer perspective as well, right inside the platform. You don't, you don't have to open your IDE. So here you have a lot of different apps that you can download, and those are going to be out of the box uh, for your integration as well. And these are server-side extensions that they are talking about. And uh, they have some more tools uh, that you can utilize. So along with your sort of this, uh, I, I don't know what to call this. This is probably going to be similar to CMS experience when you are uh, utilizing any of the CMS platforms. In the case of CMS, you don't have to worry about code. Uh, you can do a lot of changes right inside your CMS, similar to your uh, you know, WooCommerce, WordPress, Shopify does similar things. So here you can do all of that. You are going to have far more control. But let's say if you are a developer and you want to go back and connect your IDE, you can do that as well. Okay, so some more. And this is where the design code utility is going to be. That's the one that is the IDE. So let's say if you want to have developer experience, you have everything downloaded as part of your IDE as well. You can connect. But again, uh, you know, this is not the same as your headless experience because in the case of headless, everything can be exposed as API. Here, you are going to have some limitations. That's going to be my understanding of overall the difference between your headless experience versus this experience. And that's probably the reason the headless people are going to say, you know what, this is very old. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, because you just don't have as much room in customizing in what you want. So I think I have one more slide that I am going to show where you have, let's say, you have a hook that you can plug in for the approval application. So I don't know if you guys have seen any of the external approval application being used as part of your commerce experience. So Oracle Commerce is providing that hook that if you want to plug in your external application, I am giving you a place. But in the case of composable experience, you can literally uh, you know, provide your hook at any point of time. You can compose any application as part of your experience. You are not going to be as restricted as your uh, Oracle Commerce. So that's the real difference between the real headless versus, uh, you know, some people are not going to call this headless. In my mind, I like this as a business, <laughs> to be honest. So I, I want to take a step back because I don't know who the audience is and, and just make sure that everybody understands the nomenclature that, that we're utilizing. So when we're talking about webhooks, web, webhooks are one-way communication with with an application versus yep. an a, API, which is bi-directional. I mean, IDE is, is a is a development platform like Eclipse or NetBeans. Um, and so that's what developers typically code Java in. And then they'll compile that and, and upload it to you know the server. And so if we have some non-technical folks listening, that's what we're talking about. 
Thank you so much for that clarification, Robert. Just one clarification there overall, uh, you know, on the comment about APIs. So sure, APIs are going to be bi-directional, but the only thing you can do from that is going to be either push or pull, okay? Yep. In the case of webhook, what is going to happen is you have your Shopify, and let's say if you have one of the event called order update. At the order update, you want to send this order object to your downstream application. Your webhook is going to send that, so the control resides inside Shopify. In the case of API, it is going to be either push or pull, but when you have to do that bi-directional communication, okay, and when you are going to have control inside Shopify, that's not possible with these two, and that's where the headless is going to be handy. If you have headless, then you can do bi-directional communication without utilizing a third middleware uh, that is either going to be sucking the information or uh, you know shoving the information through API. Good point, Sam. Uh, okay, so now this is the web API, uh, you know, and by the way, guys, uh, feel free to clarify uh, any of the points because obviously we get very technical in this. So we want to make sure that the business audience is able to follow along. Um, so here, these are the web APIs. So obviously, they are going to have very tight integration with Oracle products, okay? So with Oracle products, you are probably going to get bi-directional. But if you are going to be integrating any third-party product, that's where the challenge is going to be. So if you think this from Oracle's perspective, this is pure gold because you are providing seamless experience with Oracle products. Customers are going to really enjoy when they are going to be using, let's say, CPQ. And now CPQ and your e-commerce is a very tight integration in general. But now, let's say if you want to utilize a third-party CPQ, for example, let's say if you like Salesforce CPQ or you have a configurator application that I personally have not seen if the configurator is going to be as strong with Oracle, especially when you talk about manufacturing industry. So it could be very challenging. So now let's say if you are trying to sort of shove in your manufacturing configurator and that you want to utilize as part of your Oracle commerce, it could be extremely tricky to integrate that. So if you are using all of the Oracle applications, obviously it's going to be very easy. But if you, when you are looking at that, composable experience where you can swap out any applications and, and bring in any other application, uh, you know, that's going to be challenging with this architecture. And that's where headless is going to be slightly more um, convenient. Uh, okay, guys. So here we have some more settings. Uh, again, this is very, uh, you don't have as many settings that you are going to see with some of the other platforms that developers are going to be wanting as part of this. But I kind of like it because, you know, you have at least the site, you have different common devices that you are going to be seeing this. So this is still not bad. And overall, the look and feel of Oracle Commerce is far superior than some of the other platforms that I have personally seen. For example, let's say if you compare this with SAP Hybris, it looks very outdated in my mind. So Oracle Commerce is for some reason, you know, they uh, they have done a good job, uh, at least providing the, the, the experience uh, as part of the front-end application, and you are not going to require as much customization. The sites look better, uh, at least in my case. Uh, this is going to be your catalog experience, and by the way, the, the whole import-export functionality is really slick. The way they have done this, uh, it's really slick overall when you are trying to do all of these correlations of your catalog uh, with your products. The, the whole functionality is, is, is very, very smooth. And by the way, the catalogs that you are going to have, it's not just your product catalog that you are uploading on one, uh, uh, one site, it, it's going to have far deeper complications when you are going to be looking at your marketplace scenarios or B2B experience when each of the catalog is going to be associated with the contract and we are going to be review, going to be 
reviewing that on the next slide so the the whole b2b functionality is very complex as well and manageable and easy uh, and that's probably the reason why gartner uh, you know has rated them for b2b so we are going to be reviewing that as well so this is where their architecture is overall um, you know when you look at the way their catalog is affiliated with your price group and each of these buyers are going to have some sort of approval flow so they are going to be approved for one catalog now this is very good uh, if you look at the b2b experience if you are looking for that punch out experience okay so that is going to be really slick in my mind when you are looking at uh, you know setting up the contract for each of the catalog uh, and for the the site uh, they also have some of the approval flows where uh, and i think that is on the next slide where once you are assigned to a specific catalog uh, you are not going to be able to uh, you know going to be assigned to a next price group because you want to make sure that a buyer is only approved for one price so you have all of those controls available as part of your object structure so this is the comment that i was talking about so it's saying once a site is assigned to a contract that site no longer appears as an option so what they are trying to say is that that particular site is not going to be available for the contract assignment again meaning you can't assign one contract to uh, multiple sites and that's a you know control that you want to have in your b2b commerce experience when you are uh, you know setting up these algorithms uh, you know who to approve for what any comments guys no okay so this is the uh, place that i was talking about interfacing the external application so this is where the external approval application so i don't know whether these approvals there is a i i have never seen a best of breed application only for approval maybe there is one and i don't know if this is basically talking about integrating with one of the erp systems because obviously erp systems are going to have workflow so this is a very interesting scenario but this is the sort of hook that you can provide in your composable experience so in this particular case oracle is able to provide only at this place and then need to be sort of deliberate about where you can provide these hooks where you can uh, you know shove your external application in in the case of headless that's not true you can literally shove it wherever you want that's the uh, the beautiful part about it. i don't think enough love is given to workflows phil I was just going to say the and in Oracle ERP on the enterprise ERP they also have just substantial really cool functionality in approvals and and in if thens and it's just it's just really deep so it looks like a lot of that depth in, is you know exists on this platform as well so I don't know if that came along with it when they bought it or whether they've added along the way but it's consistent with their other packages and just to add some more layers to that comment uh phil most of the enterprise platforms are going to have very deep approval flow in general so if a product is going to be designed for the enterprise market they typically have the approval flow and the reason why oracle may have bought this platform is because it was really targeted for that enterprise market so it was aligned with their acquisition strategy yeah and i agree with that but i do think on the approval level if you compare oracle with the other enterprise systems they 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 really do have some great functionality there it's impressive great comment there thank you so much phil uh, for that uh, so this is uh, the sort of the i don't know how to define this and maybe you guys can help me but this is going to be the the whole mixing uh, of the experience where you can define your audiences you can define the variance uh, 
uh, you can define the start date and end date. So this is the, the campaign that I'm running as part of your A-B test. And this is the component that I am trying to show to this particular buyer. And after that, I don't. So you are going to be able to control that experience. And then you are going to get the analytics as well uh, as part of that experience, which I find extremely slack. Okay, so I think we are going to be reviewing uh, EpiServer optimizely and Phil, you have experience with that platform. They have similar control, but this is going to be far more nuanced. The way you can define the audiences, I don't think you can do that in, that in optimizely. Uh, this, this is going to be slightly more deeper overall in the audience persona. Uh, and in my mind, I think this is very comparable with the Salesforce as well. The way Salesforce Einstein, Einstein is done, they were doing similar things for the audience management as well as from the AI and recommendation. Yeah, I agree. This this is this is very impressive compared compared to the ones you mentioned. Yeah. You know, and and to put this in perspective, this this is you know personalization at its best when you're actually controlling not only the product but the experience on page, and you know that is no small feat. That's not you know a, a medium sized business. That is a, a truly an enterprise business that has large teams that have been crunching a lot of data and, and coming up with a lot of analysis and and uh, objectives for their target markets. And when you execute this properly, it is effective. Yeah, and and don't leave behind where the where the work is. This is great functionality, but developing the the right content for all of those audiences and making sure the messaging is consistent with the customer journey and experiences that that also that to make that work you got to have a really good team on that and phil on that comment i guess that itself is a lot of work and now if you have to deal with the technical aspect of the problems as well it's a nightmare to manage and this is where uh, you know oracle is really good to be okay because this is really easy overall the way platform is structured and how marketers can really uh, you know drive these changes the way they, they want they don't have to talk to developers no collaboration required there uh, overall from the technical perspective at least yes the collaboration is going to be required from the content perspective but at least the technical problems you don't have to worry so this implementing this is is you know in in case people haven't been paying attention this this now is extremely difficult because of the whole apple facebook brouhaha getting rid of third party cookies um getting first party data um you know it's a lot of sites are dealing with this is you have to be logged in to know exactly who you are. If, if you're just, you know, uh, anonymously browsing, you're not going to get this kind of experience because the cookies won't exist anymore. That's a great point. Thank you so much for that, Robert. Yeah. And or, I don't or know. having the customer represent a journey, right? For example, if you've got consumers and maybe pros or something, you can get them to identify who they are by picking a journey. But that still is not nearly as powerful. That's much more generic, right? Mm hmm. Robert, in your experience, have you seen any sort of workaround for that problem? Uh, let's say if you are anonymous and let's say if I want to identify you, is there a way? Can I get some sort of data and can I use that to identify you without asking you to log in? So it really depends on what the user allows. Now, you know, some sites are ignoring browser requests uh, to to be anonymous, um, and that's not really cool. They, they're going to be exposed for that. So if, if a customer wants to come in as anonymous, there is no workaround at the moment. Um, you know, we, we are trying to come up with new tools and, and ways to identify who that customer is. But, you know, the anonymous uh, privacy movement is moving extremely fast to continue to build the protections for those who want it. And anybody who wants to protect themselves and, and not be targeted, um, you can't you can't ID them. 
Yeah, and I don't know if there are going to be any sort of incentives for the companies, and that's what those are the workarounds that I would think that marketers probably will be able to figure out to get that information. Sure, some people are never going to give their information, and they you probably don't want to you know bother them. But right. it's not everyone, I guess, you know. And and Phil, I don't know if you have any comment there. Well, I mean, there's the there's the old-fashioned way. You can't you can see a better discount if you tell us who you are. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. That that exactly. that that does tend to work. Exactly. Or you can you know sometimes you can get a get get you know a subscription to something if you tell us who you are, which I find to be less effective. But to see my best price, if I actually am serious and I got to give them my email, you'll tend you'll tend to wanna. You'll tend to do that. Well, that, and that's that's what Amazon has done, right? So if you're on Amazon Prime, they know who you are. They've got your data. Yeah. If you've signed up for Treasure Trove and you get your little, you know, daily um, text message like, get this new product really, really cheap and it's going to sell out really, really quick. You know, you're going to click in and they're going to kind of see the things that you seem to be interested in. You know, so you're exchanging value for information. Um, but at some point, where does that end? When we were talking earlier, you know, this is really geared towards a lot of B2B customers. Those same um, things don't apply to B2B. Great copy there. So, guys, this is the audience. And again, the audience is very granular uh, in general. The amount of control that you have to build these audiences. And this audience is going to be the layer that you are going to going to overlay on the controls. So you have a lot of control overall how you are going to be controlling the audience. But obviously, as per Robert's point, if you don't understand who your audience is, then you can't do much. But let's say if you have some sort of motivation, then obviously this is a great deal for Mark. Um, some comments here from the users, and this is the this is the accounting company, 10,000 employees. So obviously they are going to be very enterprise centric. So they are, they are saying no log access to troubleshoot so this is the consistent trend that i have seen on their documentation which is not as great uh, as well as overall the troubleshooting is probably going to be troublesome <laughs> so pay attention to that and again this is the problem with most enterprise platforms when you are working open source it's just open world you have really large community so that's a real advantage of going for slightly more open headless platform versus going for slightly more enterprise platform and here the changing of skins is not easy. So even though our assumption was that you have these teams, you can change the skin, but seems like users are not really agreeing with us and, and probably they have some challenges there uh, in terms of the, the skins. Then you have, this is coming from 2020. Uh, this is the retail company, 5,000 to 10,000 employees. Again, very enterprise-centric company, really big. So here they are saying Oracle CX Commerce comes with a developer tool known as the DCU tool, which is very helpful. So developers are actually liking it. Now, some more comments here. Uh, it's well suited for businesses who want to or are planning to sell products online. This can include buy online, ship to store. And again, that's where the real trick is. These are the, the functionality or the trends. If you want to capitalize on that, <laughs> you need to have really solid architecture and a product like this to be able to implement this. So again, if you are implementing buy online pickup and store, make sure you really think through your architecture. And they are talking about buy online ship uh, too. That's where the real difficulty is. It's very, very, very hard to pull off those architecture. So um, in your the, re the review, the first one that you read where the guy said changing skins isn't easy. I mean, just going by you know his definition, um, consulting in the finance and accounting. Um, I would not expect somebody in the finance and accounting uh, world 
to fully understand or be able to manipulate web tools very easily. That's that's just not their forte. Maybe the marketing group, maybe you know IT, but I, I wouldn't expect finance and accounting. Completely agree, Robert, with that assessment. Thank you so much for that. Here, now we have digital marketing manager. So let's say what <laughs> marketing manager is trying to say. So here we have the construction specialties, building materials, 1,000 to 5,000 employees, um, you know, which is very large as well. Here, initial implementation, by the way, this is where a lot of people might think this is very business friendly. I should be implementing this in two weeks, right? But this uh, user is saying that in initial implementation is very hard. So to build all of this experience, you still have to go through very thick implementation process. And that's where, Robert, your comment that you have to go through that build, the thick build that you used to do in the world of ATG, that has not gone anywhere. It's just that, you know, when you look at these screens, um, you know, you are just thinking that it's easy. The implementation is easy. Once it is implemented, then maintenance may be easier. But the implementation itself is probably not. What else that... Okay, they are also saying that if an error is made in the initial product definition and hierarchy setup, they live in the instance permanently. Okay, that's now a big red flag for me personally. In most of the e-commerce instances, you know, it's very, very, very hard to sort of roll back that change. And that's where your development platforms are going to be slightly better because they are designed for that version control. In this particular case, controlling that data is going to be extremely difficult because obviously they are trying to get that data integrity. So you get one thing, either you get data integrity or <laughs> you get flexibility in changing your data. You you very rarely get both. You know, one of the things that I've, I've seen a couple of organizations do is they, they build very fast, easy, almost out of the box um, beta solutions for people to test and play with data, structure, organization, reporting to see how it works. And that's where some of the errors show themselves very, very quickly. And then, you know, then they can go back and take a look at their documentation and their expectations and say, you know what, we thought it was going to be A, but we really need to do B. Let's change this for the real build. Good well, and Oracle is at its heart a database company. So it's not real surprising that they're, once they say that our, that hierarchy is set, and the database structure is set that they're that they're going to be very finicky on letting you unwind that even if you don't like it after the fact. Just to your point, there there's going to be you know it's all, it's it is a path that they choose. But I, I tell you what, just as as uh, to get us going on some summary comments that I did not or think of Oracle as as, as you know CX Commerce that wasn't you know I, I knew they were I knew they had this product but I didn't think of them pretty. Pretty robust, good product, and and definitely aimed at the bigger guys. And I thought that the hybrid thing, and and Sam, I always learn a lot technically when I hear you talk about some of the real implications of headless or the different types of ways that some of these things are structured. They seem to strike a pretty good balance. Maybe not all the developers will be happy, and maybe they won't have all the flexibility. But there's also some real ease and structure there for 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 maybe not as much neat reliance on developers as you also highlighted. But yet, you know, this, this stands up well in functionality from other from other products. And, and uh, you know, it's certainly nice that it's connected to Oracle. Oracle's database connectors and, and you know, they're just structure their database and their cloud stuff is, is really good stuff. So nice product. Robert? Yeah, I, you know, I, I like the product. I like what they're trying to achieve. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about consistently is, um, you know, you've got to have the right team and, and right expectations in place to successfully develop um, and deliver any product that you're, that you're going to do. Um, you know, you yourself, Sam, having done so many ERPs, you can see the train wreck coming. 
you know, miles away. And, you know, you warn your clients, no, you really don't want to do that. And occasionally, I'm sure you still get some that stubbornly say, no, this is how we do things. And they rue the day they said that. Phil? Yeah, I, I, I just, I would add to that. It's, it's uh, you know, we're, we're kind of combining ERP with the commerce solution on this. But in this particular case, they certainly... They certainly are in the same sentence. It's not like some of the smaller commerce solutions, like you said, Shopify or places like that, that they, they, they might have a lot of customers, but a lot of that's focused on just, you know, just a stand up uh, uh, B2C type solution. This is this is B2B with also good B2C capabilities and a lot of scalability and really aimed at, at a company that, that wants to connect this to ERP, connect this to the other things they're doing and really have a scalable solution. So. So, you know, the 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 negative the only negative I see on this is they probably still if you would compare them with the couple you talked about, you know, the sales forces of the world that are just so focused on this and always developing more and always always gaining functionality. The one thing I might caution folks looking at this on is if the most important thing you're doing is your commerce solution is that front end, you know, I'm not sure these guys are best in class, but they're right there and they have a lot of solid capability. You know, one of the things I think we're always going to see is when you get to this level of competition between, you know, ATG and Demandware and, you know, the other toys, they're always going to have their premier clients that are going to be comparable to yourself. And so you can't say, um, well, Ford is on them, so I'm GM, I'm, I, I need to be on them. You have to really look at what your requirements are and find the tool that fits your requirements. And fits your organization, right? Yep. You know, to back to the headless conversation, fits how you want to stand this up. And I'm glad that the one uh, review mentioned this is a big project. All right, don't think that it, just because they say all these all these tools are there and the widgets are there and it's a, everything's there, you can pull it out of an app or whatever the pitch is on some of these. Standing up a good, especially B two B commerce solution is a real project and it's real business transformation project as well as IT. And then to maintain it. You know, just with the information, we hit content a little bit. There's a whole nother set of information and maintenance to do on a properly run commerce site. You know, the organization has to be right. But it's a but it's a really good point. Like anything else, what's really important and make sure you're identifying the solution that is has strengths and what's really important. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. So we are close to our time now. Uh, any other uh, final commentary before we close? No. All right. So uh, that's a wrap, guys. And my final recommendation is going to be listen to uh, the last comment that Robert made that your industry functionality still matters, uh, even in the case of your e-commerce. So make sure that you are comparing the solution with the uh, wherever you are in your industry and micro vertical. Uh, so make sure you pay attention to that. Uh, on that note, if you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one solution or the vendor independently. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for your time and insights tonight. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Phil Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to rgbecommerce.com. It's R-G-B-E-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you, 
in your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jay Schneider, who shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. Also, the interview with Jacqueline Laufer, who shares her insights into the Shopify pause and the challenges associated with international payments. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.